Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we're jumping across the ocean and talking to Joey Walters from HRpreneur in Canada. Joey is an exit advisor and a serial entrepreneur with a 20-year track record of providing business, real estate and mergers and acquisitions expertise to his clients. In this episode, we'll talk about the Canadian landscape and the M&A environment for mid-market and SMEs. We'll also look at an interesting business model that Joey has put together, which combines HR consulting with M&A advisory and broking to provide something that I've never actually seen done in Australia. And maybe, just maybe it could be an opportunity for some of our brokers and exit advisors here in Australia to think about ways they can bolt on services that might be potentially relevant to the way you deliver your services to your customers. So there's a bit in it today. Don't go anywhere. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area. And hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Joey, thank you so much for coming on to The Deal Room today. We're really excited to have you here, giving us a bit of a Canadian perspective on the M&A environment. So welcome on board. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Joanne. My absolute pleasure. Okay, so so that we can set this up correctly for our audience, I guess quite often they'll want to know what deal size you're talking about, you know, when we're talking about the Canadian perspective. Maybe if you can just give us a quick rundown of the usual size of businesses that you deal with and, you, you know, the, the sort of deal sizes that you generally see. Yeah, so usually... Uh I say I deal in the middle market uh, here in Canada in the industrial side. So there would be businesses both on the HVAC supply and uh, contracting side, plumbing, both supply and contracting, same thing with electrical construction. The deal sizes are anywhere from $2 million in sales to $100 million in sales all across Canada. So that's usually the deal size that I deal with and uh, usually privately owned companies. Some of these companies have partners or family trusts that are involved, but that's usually the size that I uh, usually deal with. Great. Okay. All right. Well, good. That gives us a bit of background now to understand, you know, what size businesses you're dealing with in Canada. So then, you know, I think it's sensible to start right at the beginning. And maybe if you can give us a bit of a rundown of what the Canadian landscape is at the moment in terms of business sales and acquisitions for the the markets that you deal in. So that's sort of the, I guess, the SME in the mid-market. Yes. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I get asked this a lot. And, you know, each year in Canada, 130,000 new businesses start. However, only 35% of those businesses last past five years. And as you know, back in 2009, there was a big economic downturn in North America, primarily out of the US, but also into Canada a bit. And, you know, we had a as we have this aging population, a lot of people were, were expected to exit and, and sell at that time. However, uh, the economic climate wasn't appetite there for these owners to sell. So they've stayed on 
uh, obviously, because they just don't want to get rid of these organizations. But the next five years look very, very promising. We're looking at about 41% of all owners in Canada looking to exit or sell. Sorry, can you tell me that statistic again? So in the next five years, did you say 40%? 41% of owners are looking to sell or exit. Okay. Of what size business in this SME, or SME and mid-market? Yes, mid-market, yes. Mid-market. Wow. Okay, that's incredible. Okay. Uh-huh. And I thought we were looking at a particular wave. Okay, so 41% in the next five years are predicted to be selling in the mid-market area. Okay, yep. Or exiting their business because, as, as you know, not everybody that puts their business up for sale actually sells because a lot of them need help. On, on how to do that and, and how to go about doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And can I ask where this 41% comes from? Where, where are these stats drawn from? These stats came from uh, Economic Canada. I uh, attended um, a conference back in uh, the beginning of May and talked about the economic outlook in Canada and what's going to be happening. And so one of the gentlemen that was speaking there was talking about this. So I, I've taken some of that information because I, I found that quite astonishing that that many people would probably be looking to sell. I see it, but as you know, people are looking to sell, but they're not educated to sell at times. And so that's that's where I come in and try to help them out because a lot of times these owners, they're very emotionally attached, as you know, to their businesses. And they want to sell because they need to pay for their children's school or they need to sell because they feel this is how much money they need to retire. But but they really need uh, M&A advisor, specialist or business broker to, to help them out along with that process to really sit down with them and, and build out how to get most for your company and what's realistic to sell and, and who you're going to sell it to and what is your role after. It sounds like all of those sorts of issues, you know, certainly across border. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, we uh, of course, there, there are all the sorts of issues that business owners have to grapple with here in the Australian market as well. What are the key drivers behind this 41% exit in the next five years? Is it ageing population? Yes, it is. So, you know, part of that stat is, is when I was at that conference, 59% of business owners right now in the United States and in Canada are over the age or at the age of 50, right? So that, that's a big stat. And so, you know, as much as we have new entrepreneurs coming in, we still have that aging population generation that are still actively in the market, still trying to uh, grow their businesses or keep them stably and profitable. And not, not always the next generation uh, in the family want to take over the business. Uh, they want to go off and do something else. And so these people are going to be looking to potentially exit and sell. Have you seen anecdotally yourself any changes over time while you've been in the business of business owners moving from family succession plans to now family being less of a succession plan and, and you know, owners now looking to third-party buyers as their exit strategy? I haven't seen an increase in that. But there's a mixture. There's definitely a mixture out there. I speak to a lot of business owners and some of them are like are, are not interested in selling. Some of them have four or five generations. Actually, I had lunch today with a gentleman that's not ready to sell. He's in his early 50s. He wants to see where his kids are going to be at. He's growth and profitable right now and he wants to continue to grow and expand. However, he's not looking to grow. However, he knows of many people in his industry that are looking to sell. So he was disinterested to meet with me to get my perspective. So I haven't a decrease in family, 
but uh, it really depends on the size of the business and whether it has been passed on through generation. Specifically here in Toronto in the GTA, in the construction side, in the industrial side, a lot of supply owners and a lot of home builders and big developers, all family-owned businesses, been passed on through generations, and those people have no interest in selling, and they control a big part of the market here. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Just coming back to these statistics here about the likely number of exits into the next five years, are there other drivers for this wave? Because it does seem like a very large number of predicted exits. So are there other drivers as well? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, you, we have international influence that are looking to grow and, and buy. And so people are looking to, you know, if they have have a deal uh, at hand, most entrepreneurs are, are deal makers. And so if they feel that they can get money for their company and they're, they're willing to take that next, I, I think it's also, uh, you know, people want to do other things in their life. But I do see from the buyer perspective is a lot, a lot of people, you know, have a misconception that they think that buyers are looking for, for companies that are turnaround companies and that are companies that are not doing well financially and that they're going to come in and swoop them up and turn them around. That's actually opposite. You know, buyers are looking for stable, profitable companies or growing profitable companies. I think there's a big misconception every time, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of business owners and they're like, you know, I'm not just going to give this away for free. This is not a fire sale. And I remind them like the people that I'm dealing with on the buyer side that I know, they're not looking for those types of companies. They're looking for companies that they can bolt on or they can add, you know, revenue of capital or new products or talent to and really grow those companies and, and, along with some of the other businesses or the business that they have. Do you find that the same in Australia? or? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously businesses that in some sense are out in the market looking for a good deal where they feel like they can make a strategic purchase because they're looking to expand in certain ways where it doesn't bother them how the business has been run before. Because say, for example, they want access to assets like their, you know, their customer list or whatever the case may be. But generally speaking, I think you're absolutely right in that buyers are looking for generally for businesses that have been run well that they can then take over and that it can continue to run often without the business owner if if the business owner is selling in order for them to exit uh, quickly themselves. But they still want to feel that there's value there that they can grow into the business. So I guess they're looking for a business that's not completely tapped out in terms of growth and expansion and future potential value, but certainly generally something that's running fairly well. But, you know, of course, there's always the, um, you know, the buyer out there, you know, we just completed one last week, I think, where the particular deal was a very low price because it was a really poorly run business, but the buyer coming in was really only interested in having the staff and the customer base. So they didn't care how the business was run, you know. So it was, you, you know, they thought it was an advantage that uh, the business had been run poorly because they thought they could run it better themselves. So there's always that combination. But of course, if you want top dollar, you know, you're not going to get top dollar from unless you you have, you know, assets that are strategically important to a buyer. You're not going to get 
that top dollar unless you have a business that's running well and you can show, you know, good systems, something that will hand over well to the buyer and good profits, all of those sorts of things. So I think we're aligned here between Australia and Canada from that perspective. And so part of the work that you do with your clients is helping them get ready for exit in order to build the value of their business at exit. Is that right? Yes. Yes, exactly. So yeah, I'd like to usually get in two years before an actual sale and really sit down and, and have a conversation with the owner or owners about their business. I sit down and you know, complete a sales-ready assessment with them, uh, which is uh, sometimes very eye-opening with them. I also educate them on the process and what's been happening in the market. Uh, and then from there, we build a plan. And, and that plan could be 12 months to 18 months out, sometimes 24 plus months out. And what we like to look at, obviously, you know, profitability is very, very important. But really, depending on the business, you know, what type of products that they have that maybe some of their competitors, what are their competitive advantages compared to that? Sometimes it's talent. Sometimes it's location. Uh, sometimes it's a product line. Sometimes it's technology. But furthermore than that, it's like looking at their structure. I find sometimes a lot of owners uh, have the structure where they still hold all the cards to the company and they haven't brought the company out enough that the company can run without them there every single day. And as you know, you know, part of a sale, depending on who the buyer is, is it's very attractive if a business can run without uh, necessarily having that owner or owners there every single day and having to be part of every single decision. And so I help them with that structure. And I accompany that with the other, the other part of my business stream that I do, is, which is recruiting, is helping them find that succession, whether it be internally within the organization and developing that, or we need to go externally. I find that this, this is an interesting part of your business model merging recruitment and HR consulting with M&A. I mean, I've never heard that done in Australia. Sounds like an interesting combination there. Maybe you can talk a bit about how that works together, what the reasoning behind it is. Yeah, the reasoning uh, behind it and how it works together is is that, you know, they, they have access to, to somebody that's, you know, been in industry before, has been through a lot of merger acquisitions in industry before I started my business. And also, I've done a lot of recruiting and know what to look for. And so I kind of company that with my experience on the M&A side, because as you all know, the sale and the process to get to the sales is, is, is one component of the M&A. But after the sale transacts and, and happens, it's, it's really the simulation and how this business it transitions after from people to how you do business with customers and vendors and everything outside that, especially talent, depending on what size of companies are buying other companies. And so I come in and try to advise you know, the buyer that what are things that they're going to have to look for after, what is their actually role after and really look at the recruiting aspect. And so this business model that you run, the combination of a recruitment and HR consulting with M&A, is that a common sort of business model in Canada? Uh, not that I know of. Every time I talk to somebody, they, they're like, wow, I never knew you can do, you know, mesh that with that. And so for me, it's really about life changes. Like I deal with people, you know, certain types of recruiting. And so People are leaving from a job to go to another job. So that's a life change. Uh, selling your business, obviously, is a life change or buying a business is a life change. So I just look them. I look at them like life transitions, career transitions, and, and just helping people through that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about 
giving gratitude and helping and educating my clients or candidates. And for me, it's really about, uh, you know, my slogan is, you know, your success is my passion. I'm really interested in building long-term relationships with people and it's, it's working. It, it takes time. It, it, it works. And so for me, it's, you know, uh, working on two to three deals at a time and working with these people over the long haul and getting them to sell and getting top dollar by structuring their company to get top dollar. Yeah. And you talked earlier about transition and integration issues. All the things you're talking about here don't appear to be any different here in Australia. They're cross-border issues. Maybe just focusing particularly on the people or the HR issues from an integration and transition perspective. What are some of the biggest issues you have seen? Obviously, uh, pay. You know, how, how people are paid in different organizations and the pay philosophy around that. Benefits. Everything from car allowances to health benefit and, you know, how expenses are handled, retirement pension plans, that's big as well. So those are some of the big things that, that I find. Obviously, structure too, you know, how, how things are structured, incentive plans, how, how bonus plans are paid out, you know, what has been guaranteed. I've been involved in deals where there's been no offer letters put into place. And so everything's been on a handshake. And this is when I was in industry, and that gets very, very messy and not so nice, put it down, because now you have somebody trying to sign an offer letter, which they never had before, and, and, and you have to give them compensation to sign something if they have a termination agreement uh, that's put in there that wasn't there, and, and so it gets very, very sticky. As well as I've seen, you know, non-solicits, non-competes, you know, people of the company don't want to sign those things that they, they never had them before. How are you compensating them, uh, you know, for that? So it, 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 it can be very messy and sticky depending on, you know, the size and how, how things flow. And so how do you generally approach dealing with these issues? And I guess from an organisational perspective, it makes sense to, at some stage, bring all of the payments and the benefits into alignment and the terms of employment into alignment across the pool of employees. But of course, it needs a considered approach. So what's the approach that you generally suggest? How do people start? Yeah, my approach is, is to really understand, you know, what's the different philosophies in the organization? How, if this deal were to happen after you do the due diligence, how are you going to handle it? And really communicate that upfront and honestly. I've seen too many times where things are promised to employees and then over a period of time, things change. And then they go back and they resonate on the time that they were told that things weren't going to change and everything's going to run the same and so far. I think if you just say, hey, listen, we're going to do our best to have business as usual as we continue to go through. But there's going to be some synergies and, and, and some things that we're going to be working on and there could be changes further. And we're going to announce those changes. And it's just better to be upfront and then call the people in and, and explain to them, hey, we're going to be making this change in this time. I think if you also do it and say, hey, if this is going to happen in three to six months or this is going to happen in, in a year's time. And this is the reason why we're doing it. People don't want to hear that at times because it might affect them. But they will like the honesty in the long term. If you go and say, we're not going to do anything and you make a change in three months and then in you know another nine months, you make another change, another change. And you keep saying, OK, that's the end of the changes. People stop believing you, right? Yeah, and it's about—it's really about then understanding how you're going to be operating that organisation moving forward, how you're going to deal with the transition issues from the beginning. And you know, I think part of these issues come when number one, the strategies haven't been thought through properly, you know, right from the beginning, and you, you know, it's a 
a drip change approach as issues occur, you know, tackling them rather than there being a strategy from the beginning that is communicated and then understood by employees. Yeah, I, I find that everybody gets excited about M&A and they think it's sexy. But yet, you know, when you get down to the grunt of it, when you're going through negotiations, it gets very emotional and gets very, especially for the business owner that's selling, can be very emotional because they take it or the partners, they, they take it very personally. But then after the fact, it's very emotional for employees, right? So you're trying to make things as smooth as possible. But to your point, if a company's never bought out another company and they don't have a strategy on how they're going to handle taking two cultures and merging it together and having different philosophies, and they're just interested, hey, like I'm going to buy this and the company's going to continue to run, you're not going to win in the long haul. So it's really, really going in and understanding how you're going to do that and, and really getting the expertise to do that because it can be very messy after the fact. And if we've got any businesses here who are interested in making contact with you, maybe you can tell us how they can do that as well. Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Joanna, for having me uh, and getting a Canadian perspective. My absolute pleasure. If anybody's interested in getting a hold of me, you can find me at www.hrpreneur.ca or my email is jwalters at hrpreneur.ca. Fabulous. Wonderful. Thanks, Joey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. And that's a wrap. As a quick review, the highlights for this episode are firstly, Joey walking us through the Canadian SME M&A landscape, where it's expected that 41% of business owners will be looking to exit or sell their businesses due to the ageing population. So certainly nothing different there, very similar themes here on the Australian shores. Secondly, we talked about the different types of buyers out in the Canadian marketplace and the sorts of things that they're looking for when considering an acquisition. So generally speaking, it's consistent with the drivers we have here in Australia with buyers looking for businesses that have been run well and that aren't completely tapped out in terms of growth and expansion, something that they can take over and continue to run because it's not highly dependent on the business owner. And then finally, we finished off with identifying the biggest HR issues from an integration and transition perspective. These include how much and how people are paid and the philosophy around that, employee benefits and how expenses are handled, retirement or in his word, pension plans, how things are structured, incentive plans, bonus plans and guarantees, and lastly, terms and agreements that aren't supported contractually. Well, that's it. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to the Deal Room podcast on your favourite podcast player. If you're already a subscriber, please think about leaving an honest review on iTunes to help us reach more people. Well, thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and the Deal Room podcast, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com. 
www.radio.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. That will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Thank you.